Well, as we continue worshiping this morning, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word or turn on your device to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be. And while you're finding it, while you're turning there, let me just take a moment and, and say a word of thank you first to our deacons who met this week and prayed and helped us navigate some of these odd decisions. And, and I want to say a word of thank you to the staff of Elkdale. Man, I am surrounded by such a great team and they scrambled this week to do some different ways of ministry, and so just thank you. And also, many of you, you've texted and called and, and messaged. Some of you have even come by and dropped off your tithes and, and switched to online giving, things like that. It's just encouraged us, and, and I just want to say thank you for, for encouraging me during this uh, different time that we're in. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through a series of sermons in the Gospel of John, uh, we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John and where Jesus declares himself as God uh, through a statement. And we've worked through four of those and we have a few left. But for this morning, I wanted to just say pause to that and, and look at a passage of Scripture that might help us in these odd times since we're dealing with this virus and, and the fallout from it and the things that are happening all around us. I thought it would be helpful uh, for us to look at a passage of Scripture that might speak to our worry and our anxiety. You know, like you, I've been reading and watching the news, and, and if I let myself, I have a lot of what-if questions. What if this lasts for a long time? What if the schools don't open back up? What if my job lays me off? What if I can't make the mortgage payment? What if the grocery store doesn't let me in? What if I get the virus? What if someone I know gets the virus? There's a lot of questions that are lingering out there and this can bring a lot of worry and anxiety and i'm grateful today that in matthew chapter 6 jesus himself the lord of lords deals with anxiety he deals with worry he looks to us and knows that we'll be people who fret and he speaks to it let me read to you matthew chapter 6 25 through 34 and let's look this morning at a message i just simply entitled hope in the midst of anxiety matthew chapter 6 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious can add one single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God is so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now as we look at this passage together and we think about the idea of anxiousness, of worry. Lord, in the day in which we live, we are gripped now with uh, questions that we can't answer, and problems that we can't solve. And so, Lord, it, it raises this, uh, in us this, this uh, feeling of anxiousness. And, and so, Lord, we need you now. 
We need you through the power of your word and through your spirit. Father, we need you to remind us that you are in control and that, that you're watching over us and that there is an answer to worry. Father, I pray right now, I pray for the, the senior adult who's at home alone and finds themselves anxious about going out. I, I pray for the family who's worried about their income and how this will affect their jobs. And Lord, I pray for the children that have watched the news and heard parents talking and, and in them is bubbling up this anxiety. Lord, I pray right now that in these moments, through your word, you, Father, you would speak to our heart and remind us that you are watching over us. Bless us now, your people, as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have this passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is this famous sermon of Jesus, this lengthy teaching where he takes his disciples, his followers, and he goes up on a mountain, a hillside, and he sits down and begins to teach them at length uh, the things of the kingdom of God, the wisdom of God, the will of God, and how man should interact with God, how we should behave in the kingdom. In this passage, you'll find things like the Beatitudes or the Lord's Prayer. But in our passage this morning, I'm grateful that in all of the teaching of Jesus, he doesn't leave worry or anxiety out of the topics. He deals with the very thing that he knows we will struggle with. We worry. We have anxiety. We fear about tomorrow. And it bubbles up inside of us. And so in this passage, I want to do something for you. I want to give you three truths this morning, three ideas to anchor your faith in the midst of anxiety. I want to give you hope in the midst of anxiety. So let me give those to you. Truth number one, in the midst of anxiety, don't forget God is in control. Now I know that seems elementary. I know it seems like a Bible school answer for the pastor to say to you, hey, don't forget God's over all things. But, but brothers and sisters, in the story today, Jesus is reminding his disciples that we need to think about God being in control every single moment. Let me show you what I mean. Look again at the text. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, verse 25, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. And then he says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like the grass. And so Jesus is doing something for us. He understands that we worry and he's using a temporal example. He says, you worry about food, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on your clothes. He's, he's talking about the basic needs that we worry about. How will we take care of ourselves? What will we get tomorrow? And, and the things of this earth that consume our mind. Now, let me stop for just a moment and say that Jesus is not telling us not to plan. He's not telling us to work and make money so we can feed ourselves next week. He's certainly not just prohibiting worry in general. I, I like you, or mom or dad, if, if my children get hurt, if, if there's something wrong, I, I rush to them in worry. I want to take care of them. But what Jesus is pointing to is that there are many things in this temporal world that we need in order to survive, that we need in order to uh, thrive. And he's simply looking at us and saying, God is in control. He's reminding us that he's over all things. And he does this by giving us what is known as a kind of a greater and lesser argument. He says, if God has given you life and body, will he not give you also food and clothing? 
Now, this is a, a kind of a greater than, less than argument. It goes like this. If I can run, then I also can walk. If I can ride a bike without training wheels, then it goes to show I can ride one with training wheels. It's a, it's a lesser than and greater than argument. And so what he's simply saying is, if he will give you life, if he will create you, if he will make you, then surely he will give you what you need. He's reminding us of this. And he does it in two pictures, two beautiful pictures. He says, look at the birds. The birds don't plant gardens. The birds don't get up and clock in at the factory. The birds don't work to take care of all of the things that they need. And yet, every day when the bird flies out, he finds seed. He finds worm. He finds things to feed. He finds nests to build. God is taking care of them. He's looking. In fact, look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds. The word look there means to stare intensely. It means to observe. It means to learn. He's literally saying, stop and watch the birds. Look at the raven. Look at the crow. Look at the, the turkey that goes across the field. Look at the birds. Notice God feeds them. God takes care of them. God makes sure they have what they need. Then he says again, look at the flower. Look at the petals on the daisy. Look at the blossom of the rose bush. Is God not giving that what it needs? Is he not providing the nutrients and the water and the soil and the sunlight for that plant to grow? And then he makes his greater than argument. He says, listen, if God takes time to make sure that the raven has a seed and the flower has a nutrient and water and sun. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. How much more will he make sure that his children made in his image will have what they need? How much more? Will God take care of us? He is reminding us God is in control. And there are two wonderful things about this passage that stand out to me in this idea that God is in control. The first one is, is that God provides. He provides. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, He gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In Psalms 115.3, it says He is in heaven and He does as He pleases. He's, he's watching over us. God provides for us. But I want you to notice a second beautiful truth about this idea of God being in control. Not only does He provide for us, but He provides for us personally. Think about the illustrations that He uses. God knows when the bird needs what it needs. God knows when the flower needs what it needs. And so the rose bush in my yard and the rose bush in Egypt and the bird in South America and the uh, uh, um, whale on the other side of the ocean, God knows every one of them and he provides for them what they need. This means to me that God knows me and you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you're walking through. He knows exactly how to take care of you in His perfect providence. And He knows personally what you need. And brothers and sisters, we are needy people. And yet God will meet those needs. Psalm 40, 17 says, As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought of me. He thinks of me. He knows me. You are my help, O oh deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. I'm so thankful this morning that in the midst of all the chaos and the uncertainty that surrounds us, that is whirling about with every uh, breaking news story that we read, I'm so thankful this morning 
that not one single event happening here on this earth has changed the fact that God is on the throne. Has changed the fact that He is in control and over all things. And He feeds the birds and He clothes the flowers and He looks after His children. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you in the midst of anxiety, do not forget that God is in control. Secondly, let me give you another truth to anchor your heart during this time. To have hope in the midst of anxiety, not only do we not forget that God is in control, but don't forget that worry is foolish. It's foolish to worry. Now, I know that all of us deal with this. We, we battle worry. We battle concern. I, I'm, I, I know that we do this, but we should be reminded that it is foolish. Look in your Bible at verse 27. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 27 through 30. He says these words, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now skip down to verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is reminding us that we can worry, we can fret. I, I'm not sure about tomorrow. I'm not long, sure how long this uh, virus will last, how long the economy will struggle, how long my kids will be locked in my house. I, I'm not sure. But if I start to think about tomorrow and the next week and the next week and the next week, I, I'm inviting trouble that does me no good. It's foolish to worry. In fact, Jesus kind of gives us three uh, reasons here why it's foolish to worry. Reason number one, it's foolish to worry because it will not add to your life. It will not add a single thing to your life. Look with me at verse 27, just to be clear. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Your Bible may say a single cubit, and that's a measurement. It's a metaphor. He's saying you, you, you have a certain number of days that God has ordained for you to live. The Bible says that we will all die once and stand before God. Your days are numbered. And worrying about tomorrow or the future will not affect those days. It won't change it. It won't do anything to unwind or add to the days that the sovereign God has set in your life. And so Jesus looks at us and says, Why are you worrying about the things of this world, about the temporal things? Why are you worrying about tomorrow when it won't add to your life? It won't, do a, it won't add anything for it. It's a it's a waste of time, as Jesus would say. In fact, I would submit to you that worrying about the unknown of tomorrow, worrying about the list of problems that you might face down the road, spending time spinning your wheels on those things, not only does it not add to your life, but it subtracts in the value and the pleasantry of life. It, it pulls away from the joy of life. It, it does harm and not good. It's foolish to worry because it won't add to your life. Secondly, it's foolish to worry because it reveals your lack of faith. Look again at verse 30. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here he gets right to the point. O you of little faith. Now Jesus, in a very clear and crisp statement, gets to the problem. 
He says, worrying pushes us, makes us stop trusting God. Points out where we're not trusting God. Points out where we forgot that he's in control, that he's over all things. Worrying is believing that I have to fix it, that I have to solve it, that I have to take it into my own hands, that I have to somehow do something to change the world around me. And brothers and sisters, we cannot do that. And so Jesus looks straight at us and says to worry is to reveal your lack of faith. To worry means you lose sight that God is in control over all things. To forget that He's on the throne. To forget that He feeds the birds and holds all things together. In the end of His life, at the height of His company and business, Henry Ford was interviewed about how He manages stress. And they were asking Him, how do you do it? And expecting Him to be a a very wound up, high tension man, the interviewer was talking to Henry Ford and and he says, I, I noticed that you're so calm, that, that the economy goes up and down, that the production of automobiles is fast changing, that, that there's all these reasons why you should be spinning and worrying. And, and here's what Henry Ford had to say when they asked him about this idea of him being so at peace in life. This is what he says. He says, I believe God is managing affairs and he doesn't need any advice from me. What a good idea for us. God, God is in control. And he doesn't need advice from me. He doesn't need my help. I can't fix it. I can't solve it. And it's foolish for me to think that worrying will do any good. Why? Because it just simply shows that I lack faith in knowing God is on the throne. And so, brothers and sisters, when you begin to worry, remember, God is on the throne. And this is good for us to be reminded. Whatever tomorrow's news story will be, God is not surprised. He is not moved. He's not thwarted. He has not left his throne. He is not asleep at the wheel. He is not surprised. And so therefore, I don't have to worry. I can trust in him. There's a third reason why Jesus tells us worry is foolish, and that's found down in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know what Jesus is reminding us? We've been given today. We have now. We have this moment. I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I don't know what I'll have for the future. I've been given today. This is what I have. And today's got enough challenges. Today, I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Today, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Today, I'm supposed to put on the full armor of God and watch out for the arrows of the enemy that are trying to attack me. Today, I'm supposed to love my wife and raise my children. Today, I'm supposed to serve the church. Today is enough for me to go to battle. And if I worry about tomorrow, then I'm hindering my ability to be spiritually alert today. Worry and anxiety can paralyze us. It can disqualify us from battle. Today, if I spin my wheels on the what-ifs of tomorrow, I lose my senses when it comes to today. R. Kent Hughes, writing on this passage, says it this way. He says, worrying does not enable you to escape evil. It makes you unfit to cope with it. Worrying won't change what tomorrow will bring, but it will change the way I will face what I'm dealing with Today And so Jesus says here in verse 34, tomorrow will take care of itself. Tomorrow's got enough problems. You worry about today doing what God's called you to do. Stand firm in what God's called you to handle. 
Worry is foolish because it won't add to your life. It reveals a lack of faith in the Lord. And it, and it hinders us from doing what we're called to do today. I won't change my circumstances by worrying. But I will change my ability to deal with those circumstances if I'm paralyzed by worry. The final truth from our text this morning that I want you to see is simply this. To have hope in the midst of anxiety, don't forget that God is in control. Don't forget that worry is foolish. And then finally, and here's the one that I, I really want you to anchor your heart on this morning. Don't forget that the future is sure. What do I mean by that? Look with me at verse 33. Probably one of the most famous verses in this passage. Verse 33, this is what Jesus says. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now what Jesus is doing is He's giving His disciples a battle plan for worry. He's simply saying, listen, don't lose sight of what's important by worrying about the food and the clothes and, and what you're going to do next week and how your job will turn out six months from now and, and, and all of the things that bombard us. He says, don't, don't spend all your time spinning your wheels on the temporal things. Move your eyes away from those onto the kingdom of God and worry about seeking after God. Worry about doing the things of God. Worry about loving your neighbor as yourself and, and loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and serving your family and your wives and your children as the gospel's called you to do and, and love your church as the Bible's told you to do. He, he says, here's how you move from worry. You stop looking at yourself. You stop looking at the needs that you have. You stop worrying about your own temporal kingdom and you start focusing on the eternal kingdom of God and all of a sudden your eyes are lifted and your circumstances take on a different light because you're seeking after the Lord. So that's his practical advice, his call and his command. But, but I want you to see a different angle. I want you to know this. Not only is Jesus giving us practical advice about what to do and how to do it. Look, look at verse 33 again because I want you to be struck by what Jesus is making sure we understand. Verse 33, for the, um, he says there, uh, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Do you know what Jesus is reminding us of? There's two kingdoms. There's a different kingdom. Now, now all of this passage is about the temporal. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about the clothes. Look at the birds. God's taking care of the earth. He's whole, as we learned in Bible school, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's taking care of everything. Don't, don't get lost in the temporal. And then right there in verse 33, he flips it and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And he's reminding us, he's planting in our heart that there is another kingdom. There is an eternal kingdom. There is a world outside of this one. And it is the one where God is enthroned and he sits and it is not shaken and it will not be destroyed and no virus will touch it and death will not be there. And when we find ourselves in Jesus Christ, in that kingdom, we can be sure that the future is set. That no matter what we face here and now, the future is set. You want to know how to guard against panic in the moment? Be secure about the future. Be secure about the eternal. You want to know how to battle the panic of tomorrow? Know what you'll be like in the future. There is coming a kingdom. A kingdom that will never be destroyed. In fact, Jesus ushered in this kingdom through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he declares to us that all who are in Christ are part of this kingdom. That we, we are part not of this world, 
but of the kingdom of the future world, the free ever world. In fact, Paul would write it in Philippians chapter 3. He would say long about verse 20 and 21 that we are citizens of heaven and from it we await a king who will transform our lowly bodies into bodies like his. We are already citizens of the kingdom if we're in Christ. And there's coming a day where Christ will return and he will set up his eternal kingdom forever. In fact, the apostle John got to see this. He got to see the future. He got to see what it will be like. Let, let me just read to you Revelation chapter 21, a very famous passage of Scripture. Listen to how John describes the, the future kingdom of God when Jesus returns. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is coming a day. Brothers and sisters, that this verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God as we go after the things of God, as we work and serve and love the Lord Jesus, knowing that those that are in Christ are already a part of that kingdom. But there is coming a day where the Lord Jesus will return and sickness and mourning and viruses and stock exchanges and death will be no more. For the eternal kingdom is ruled by God who takes care of all of his Children, friend, can I ask you a question? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a part of that kingdom? One of the reasons why I can stand in the midst of this calamity and not fret and not have fear is not because I'm some sort of super calm person or I don't think about the things of the future. It's simply because of this. I know the Lord Jesus has saved me. And I know that he will carry me into heaven regardless of what the world is doing. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that the way in which we enter into this forever kingdom is to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ came and died and was buried and rose from the grave. In fact, John 1 and 12 says that for as many as received him and believed in him, meaning Jesus, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. May I propose to you that one of the reasons why you're anxious one of the reasons why you're so nervous, one of the reasons why you're uh, so in arms about what's happening around us is simply because of this. Brothers and sisters, you are realizing, you are waking up to the fact that you do not control your own life, that you cannot control it, that you can't stop what's around us. You can lock yourself in your house for as long as you want, but you will not stop the fallenness of this world. And even more so, you're knowing, you're understanding that even death will come for you. That there's no way around it. And the only answer that we can have for the calamity around us, the whirlwind of unknown around us, is to be sure about our future. And to be sure about our future is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must come to Jesus. Now, let me close this sermon by challenging you. I want to offer you something. You're maybe sitting in your kitchen or on your couch, maybe you're tuning in. You're not a, an Elkdale regular attender, but because of the situation, your church is not meeting. You've joined us, and, and, and we're grateful for that. But, but I want to give you something to do when I pray and say amen. And here it is. I want to give you three challenges today. Challenge number one, I want you to look around. I want you to do a little bird watching. 
Go to the window. Take your children outside. Pull your wheelchair up to the, the hospital room window. Look out and see. Notice the bird. Look at the flower. See the sunshine and the rain. And know that God is in control in my Daily Bible reading this week, I was reading about Joshua taking over for Moses. And in the first part of Joshua, the children of Israel cross over this Jordan Sea and the Jordan River and God splits the water and they walk on dry land. And then God tells them, go down into the river and pull out 12 stones, the river bed that, that should be full of water, but now it's dry. Go grab 12 stones and pile them up. And he says, now from now on, Whenever your children ask about that pile of stones, you remind them of the day that God split the Jordan River and we walked into the promised land. Sometimes we just need to stop and look around and remember what God has done and is doing. So let me challenge you. Moms and dads, look with your kids outside. Look at what God is doing. Let me give you a second challenge today, and that's simply this pray. I know that a sermon on not worrying doesn't automatically stop you from worrying. I realize that there's still always those opportunities to be anxious. I realize that. But in the text that we read this morning, we are reminded that it's foolish to worry. So what should we do with our foolishness? We should turn it to prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling anxious. Remind me again that you're taking care of me. Show me again that you love me. Remind me. Help me not to be anxious. Help me display in front of my children a confidence in you. Lord Jesus, help me. We need to pray. And then finally, I would say here's a challenge for you. Praise. Praise. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus tells us there's another kingdom. There's another kingdom and the king is eternal and he's sitting on the throne. And part of the way in which we lift our eyes out of the mire and the muck of this fallen world, part of the way we get past the anxiety of this is we start to lift our eyes up to the king and we sing to him. We sing to the Lord Jesus. We praise God for who He is and what He has done. And in that praise of God, our heart is encouraged. Our eyes are lifted. We're reminded that the Lord meets our needs and that He blesses us. So today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I want you to do something. I want you to look. I want you to pray. And I want you to praise. Let's pray together. Father, this morning all over uh, the area, people are sitting at home watching this. And I pray. I pray, Lord, that you're encouraging their heart, that you're settling their anxiousness, that you're reminding them that you're the king on the throne. Lord, I, I praise you that, that no matter what our headlines and news may say, Lord, you're unchanged and you meet our needs. You will take care of us. Lord, I pray for the one who feels alone, who feels isolated. I pray for the mom or dad that feels nervous about how to talk to their children during this time. I, I pray for the person who doesn't know you. They're not sure about their future. They're not sure. They, they don't have a confidence in eternity. Lord, I pray you would, you would remind them of Romans 10, that they would call out to you and be saved. Father, I pray you would turn our worry into praise. And we give you the glory and the honor because we are confident that if you'll take care of the birds, if you'll make sure that the flower has its clothes on, oh God, you'll take care of us. For even in our darkest need, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We know you love us, and we know you've not left us. Father, bless the church today, we pray in Jesus' name.